Glory to God. Pray with me this morning. Not to us, O oh Lord. Not to us. But to your name be glory. Because of your love and your faithfulness. And God, thank you for the privilege of standing in awe of you. And Lord, sometimes when we worship, we don't know whether to stand in awe or to fall on our faces and say with Isaiah, woe is me, I am undone. Because you are holy, holy, holy. And in the light of your holiness, Lord, we see our own unholiness. And Lord, we would be in utter despair about our unholiness were it not for the gospel of glorious grace that you sent your only son to take away our sin and not only to save us but to send us into the world so that all the nations sing your praise not to us O oh Lord not any of it to us but to your name be glory because of your love and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you know what I mean when I say there is a joy so great that it is no longer in you, but you are in it? And maybe, maybe when God's people come together and sing as we have this morning, we get just a glimpse. We see just a glimmer of that glory. I think it's what John Piper means when he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I aspire to that and I'm not the first a 21-year-old man named Jonathan Edwards wrote resolutions back in the 18th century. He had insight for a 21-year-old that was uncommon in that day and certainly uncommon in ours, but he started out this list of resolutions. You can Google them, but he started out by saying resolved. I will live my life that I might give the most possible glory to God what would that be like why would we do that how would we do that maybe you like we have set goals for a new year and you have ideas about what you're going to do and maybe they revolve around around study and you're saying I want to be as smart as I possibly can be resolved I'm going to be I'm going to maximize my knowledge and my wisdom or maybe you're saying resolved, I'm gonna maximize my strength, I'm gonna become a better athlete than I am, or resolved, I'm gonna maximize my wealth so that I can be generous in giving to others, or I'm gonna minimize suffering and pain and the rampant slavery that's going on in our world 10, 10 at 10, I'm going to be a part of what Tallowood is doing with that. I don't know what your goal is, but I can't think of a more worthy goal than giving 
glory to God. And if we're not careful, even the goals we set in a new year can be about us. They can focus on us. I I just listened this week as they interviewed J.J. Watt, who, by the way, is a really, really good football player. I'm hoping he has a great afternoon. And they they said to J.J. Watt, how do you feel when they compare you to Reggie White, the minister of defense? How do you feel about that? And he said, oh, I'm humbled and I am honored. But he said, I'll tell you the truth. I want to so I want to so live out my calling, my work as a football player that by the time I'm finished, they're not comparing me to anybody else at all. Now that's audacious, isn't it? (laughs) But you have to admire his boldness. You have to admire that he wants to be the, the very best. And I wondered, what would it be like to be the very best that we could possibly be at giving glory to God? Remember singing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. When I was a kid, I'm not kidding. I thought that was praise him, all preachers here below. (laughs) Praise him above, you heavenly host. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And sometime last year, I thought, what if we lived the doxology? What if we lived to give maximum glory to God? What would that be like? Why does God deserve glory anyway? Pharaoh said, who is this God that I should pay attention to him? I'd like, if I may, to answer his question this morning. Would you open your Bibles with me? Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. We studied, Ryan Dennison's helping me, and we, we studied all the doxologies of the New Testament that we could find. And I'm not saying any part of the Bible is better than any other part of the Bible, but this one, this doxology seemed to fit where we are at the beginning of a new year better than any other. I hope you agree with me. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord today. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Romans is a good place to start. I love Romans. I love Paul saying I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. And then showing us that we need salvation, not just because there are sinful people in the world, but because we're sinful people and all of us have fallen short of God's glory. And then in chapter four saying in Abraham, Father Abraham, he wasn't saved by his works, but by his faith. And in chapter five saying, um, 
God commends his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in chapter six, saying the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But in chapter seven, uh uh-oh, the things I wanna do, I don't do, and the things I don't wanna do, I do. And then in chapter eight saying, there is therefore now no condemnation to you who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death and God's work in all things together for good for those who love him. And since God is for us, who can be against us? And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then in chapter nine, can you believe he begins by saying, and I'd give mine up. I'd give my salvation up if I could just know that my fellow Jews were believers in Jesus Christ as well. And how would that happen? And he begins to describe God's grace to all people. And he says, yeah, if you just believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you'll be saved. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in chapter 11, he says, I believe there will come a day when all of Israel will be saved. The whole church of God, to be sure, will be the new Israel. But at the same time, I think he's saying there's going to come a time when Israel will turn back to God and will receive Christ as their Savior because that's the only way anybody ever is ever going to get saved. And then when he... He recognizes the greatness of this mystery in Isaiah and Job. He finds his doxology and he gives us a reason why God should get all the glory. And if you and I could see God as Paul did, we would never again for a moment think that life is about us. If we knew God like Paul knew God, we would never for a moment think, I'm just gonna take a fraction of his glory for myself. And if you ask me, why does God deserve the glory? Next week I'm gonna answer how we give him glory. But if you ask me why we should give God glory, who is this God that he deserves all the glory? My answer is twofold. My accountants and engineers are gonna like this because you're gonna know my two points today. I always have two points. You just don't always know what they are. But, but today, I'm giving them to you up front. It's a bonus. I'm not doing this every week, so don't ask. I'm just, God gets all the glory because he knows everyone and everything. That's point one. Point two, this is for you, accountants, engineers. Here it is. Because he owes us nothing. First, God gets all the glory because because he knows everyone and everything. In context, he's saying God knows the Jews and God knows the Gentiles and he loves so much that he wants them all to become his followers and that's what God wants. God knows everything. God knows everything. Madeline LaEngle, A Wrinkle in Time. Remember it, seventh grade English, A Wrinkle in Time. Madeline LaEngle said, you have a point of view. I have a point of view. God has view. (laughs) He sees it all. He knows it all. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And that's why Paul starts with, and this is profound, oh, oh, what makes you say oh? In sports, you you see Johnny Menzel, I watched him in the bowl game, oh, (laughs) oh. When I listened to Bach, Yesu, joy of man's desiring, 
Oh, when I look at Michelangelo, not particularly at Picasso. Well, the O is different with those two. Because I made a bear in the sixth grade that I'm, I'm pretty sure if somebody found it as a relic would say Picasso made that. I'm just saying. Oh, the depth, the depth of the, of the riches of God. I think of that movie, The Hobbit, and that, that great treasury of gold that the dragon guards. And I thought, God's, God's treasury is a treasury, he says, of both knowledge and wisdom. You know people who are wise, who just always kind of know the right thing to do. And then you know people who are knowledgeable, who just seem to know everything and don't mind telling you that they do. But the thing about God is he's both wise and knowledgeable. So knowledgeable, so deep that you can't trace it, he says. You can't measure it. You can't plumb the depths of the knowledge and wisdom of God. He knows everything and he knows everything. Everyone, because knowledge in the Bible, yada, the Hebrew word for know, is a word of relationship. It's not just that God has all this information, it's that God wants all of this relationship with people. Oh, the depth. And I just started thinking about people I've known who, who people said they were deep. They say Arian Foster is, is deep. If you ever listen to him talk. There was a professor at seminary named Yandel Woodfin. I didn't have him, but I had friends who did. And after the semester, I said, what did he say? And they said, we don't know. We just don't know. A fellow professor, a preaching professor who was a bit more practical said, the thing about Dr. Woodfin is he swims in the deep water every time he gets in the pool. I mean, he's never over in the shallow end. He's always over there in the deep. The very word for deep, bathos, gives us the word bathosphere. You know, that little, that little uh, sphere they use to see how deep a particular part of the ocean is. And so my mind started spinning this week and I was thinking, so what's the deepest place in the world? I know the Dead Sea where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. That's the lowest point on, um, on the on the ground of earth. But, but of course we know the ocean is lower than that 1300 feet below sea level. Um, so what's below that? What's the lowest place? So I did some research this week and it turns out there's a place called the Challenger Deep just off the coast of the Mariana Islands. It's in the Mariana Trench. You know how deep it is? It's seven miles deep. Seven miles deep. And I, did, you know, I thought it was just coincidental that for some years now, every Monday morning, I, I go out and I run seven miles. I mean, exactly seven miles. It takes me about an hour. It used to take me like 40-something minutes, but these days it's an hour. And, and the thing is, I was thinking, what if you and I, like sort of Tom Cruise in one of those Mission Impossible movies, they strapped a, a rope to us and we just started running down the side of the Mariana Trench and you know, the water wasn't holding us back and we could just run as fast as we could and you could run down as fast as you could and some of you might take 40 something minutes and some of you might take an hour and I don't know how long some of us might take but you could run as far as you could and you would still not be to the bottom of the ocean and God's, that's the word Paul uses, God's knowledge and wisdom are that deep. God knows he knows more than, than we know. And that very fact ought to create a deep sense of wonder in us. 
Josh Harris um, is a pretty popular writer, particularly with students these days. And um, he wrote a book on dating and uh, I kissed dating goodbye. And some of the kids read that book and, and put that into practice. And, and then more recently, he's written some books about God. And one of the things he says about our knowledge of God is that if we never really know the truth about God, then we never have wonder. He says it positive. When we know the truth about God, it fills us with wonder. If we fail to understand his, his true character, we'll never be amazed by him. You know people who are just not amazed by God. We'll never feel small as we stare up at him. We'll never worship him as we ought. We'll never run to him for refuge or realize the great love he's shown in the measureless distance that he bridged to rescue us. That's why we got to know that God knows. We've got to know that God knows because it sort of suspends our arrogance and it creates a genuine sense of humility. And maybe the wisest people in the world are those who have learned to fear the Lord more than anything else. And he says the thing about God is he's not asking for your advice. He doesn't need you to be his counselor. He just doesn't need that. I remember years ago watching this preacher on TV years ago, this guy, he would stand up and he would point his finger at the, at the television screen and he'd say, Mr. President, here is what you need to do for our country. And I was just a kid, but I used to think, he's not listening to you. You think somewhere in some living room in the White House, the, the President of the United States sits down every Saturday night at six o'clock and sits down and says, now, tonight this preacher is going to tell me what I need to do well here's the deal God's not looking to us for advice and we ought to be grateful for that because if you can figure out God then he's not a God who's worthy of worship and if you leave no room for mystery in your understanding of God if you've got it all systematized and figured out and you leave no room for mystery let me just say you're leaving lots of room for mistake if you leave no room for mystery with God. And I remember Rick Ferguson used to say, if we knew what God knows, we would want what God wants. But we don't always know what God knows. I've walked through it with some of our people this week who've received incredibly bad news. And we don't answer that and say, okay, well, this is why, this is that, oh, and this, oh, and did you see that? No, sometimes we just weep with people. Sometimes we just hurt with them and that's our, that's our calling because we don't know. But what we do know is that God knows. God knows what he's doing. You remember Job, I mean, he came to that point and he starts out pretty good. Um, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're reading Job with us, you know. And, uh, you know, he starts out so good. But then, you know, by the time his three friends, and uh, I just pray that you don't have friends like his first three friends, but, but by the time his first three friends give him their advice, he comes kind of to a place where he goes, you know, I'd like to talk to God about this. I've got a little bit of advice for God. And in Job chapter 38, verse 2, God says, all right, here's your shot. Who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? Who are you? And then God sort of asks, you know, he, he asks Job some questions. And it turns out Job can't answer all of God's questions. No big surprise there. And in the end, Job says in Job chapter 42, verse 2, yeah, um, no further questions, your majesty. <laughs> I don't have any further. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And then in verse five, he finally says, you know, I had heard about you. 
But now that I've seen you, I know that you know what you're doing. My pastor in college went through agony with some physical things in his ministry. And he used to say, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when God yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world's amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how God hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay that only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands how God bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes how God uses whom he chooses and with every act induces him to try God's glory out God knows what he's about and God gets all the glory because he knows us And he knows everything. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's about. And God gets all the glory. And this is a bit harder for us because he owes us nothing. If the first reason God gets glory in this passage is because of his omniscience, he knows everything. I'm just gonna make up a word because I do that sometimes. The second reason is because of his omnibenevolence his all-givingness. And when he says God doesn't owe you anything, he's not saying God hasn't given you anything. He's saying God has given you so much. He's given you everything you have. So if you're sort of trying to get your balance ledger straight just to see who owes whom in your relationship with God, this is not a hard question. Who has ever given to God, he says, so that God should say, um, yeah, okay, I, I, gotta, I gotta pay that person back. <laughs> Because they did this for me. And I only say this because I, I hear a lot of this in evangelical circles. I hear this among Christians, among Baptists. I just hear this sort of, you know, I did this for God and I can't believe he let this happen to me because I did this for him. And I, I went to church this week and can you, can you believe this? And I just, and it's just this, and then we have this quid pro quo, like I did something for him, so he did something for me. So let me just kind of clarify. If a person gives you everything you have, and then you give something back to them, they don't owe you. Some of you remember John Baugh, who was a member of our church when I moved here. And um, he was, God, God blessed him and, and, and he gave to a lot of Christian causes here and other places. And, and I was up at Truett Seminary recently and there's a plaque on the wall that says um, that, that he, in honor of Herb Reynolds, built um, that Truett Seminary. I mean, he paid the money. I mean, there are a lot of people who gave to Truett Seminary, a lot of plaques on the wall, but I mean, he gave the money to start that. So I'm like, I don't know, $10 million. He'd be embarrassed if I said that, but he's in heaven. So I don't guess he can you know, call me out on it right now, but maybe someday, but I mean, gave $10 million. But I, I am convinced knowing John, if you said to John, and where did that money come from? He would have said, God, because he started Cisco in like his living room or something. And Ulame was his secretary, assistant, helper. Cisco, S-Y-S-C-O, the trucks you see all over the place. Yeah, and, and he would say, God did that. And God enabled me to give. And so, so when he gets to the end of it, he says, look, look, everything comes from God and everything comes through God and everything's going to God. 
So God gets all the glory. He's not saying, and God is stingy, far from it. He's saying God is benevolent and he wants you to receive his gift. And if you ever receive his gift, you're not gonna go, is there any more? Maybe you've been through this at Christmas time or at a birthday periodically with a kid who didn't get exactly what they thought they were going to get. And it becomes a, a moment sometimes where, where the, the kids will say, I, I, but I wanted this. And we've had those moments through the years with our kids and maybe you have as well and so has God. And so we're all in this together. But, but I was reading this week a, a three-page letter from one of our kids after a birthday and, and on this bright orange construction paper, it said, thank you for what you did for my birthday and thank you for all the things that y'all give to me. I love all the things you've given to me. I love you guys, mom and dad. P.S. For all the things that y'all have given me, I could never repay you. Letter signed. And I thought, well, this comes close to paying us back right here. Except the truth is, we're not asking our kids to pay us back. And God's not asking you to pay him back. All God's saying is, don't take any of my glory because my glory is my glory and my glory belongs to me alone and only God gets all the glory because God knows everything and because he owes us nothing. Start with salvation and then just go from there and just write it down this week and make a list of all the things God has done for you. Yes, he saved you. And, and I start going down that list and I start thanking God for my family and I thank God for Tallowood and I thank God for his provision for me and I thank God for health and I thank him for life and I thank him for the next breath. I was reading one pastor who'd gone through a difficult time and he said I've learned not to to think about the things that I've lost but I've learned to thank God for the things that I still have and then we thank God that when we see him face to face everything that we've ever lost in this life will all be restored won't that be glory oh that will be glory for me Glory for me, when by his grace I shall look on his face, that will be glory for me. And in the message, Eugene Peterson just translates this last verse, and I think this is helpful to us. He says, everything comes from him, and everything comes through him, and everything goes to him. Always praise, always glory. Yes, yes. Yes, let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing love and mercy and grace. We don't even want to think about where we would be without you. But we thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. We thank you for this breath that we're breathing. We thank you for another day for another year and Lord we commit ourselves with the Westminster Confession that our chief purpose in this life will be to glorify God 
and enjoy you forever. And we know that you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. And we just want to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.